Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. It's a happy edition of Irish Illustrated Insider today, a couple days after Notre Dame manhandles Clemson 35 to 14. We all saw that coming, of course, but man, what a, what a, what an incredible performance by Notre Dame. Uh, Marcus Freeman said today that it was their best level of physicality all year. That was pretty obvious. I asked him a question about the way the DBs were rallying to the football and the way they stopped the perimeter game. They were outstanding. They were absolutely tremendous. And, and uh, Clemson got exactly what it deserved. They weren't ready to play to Notre Dame's level and Notre Dame hammered them. Yeah, I was actually a little concerned, Tim, uh, when they were they were testing everything horizontally. I, I just immediately thought to myself, Dabo must see something he wants to exploit on the edges in terms of he must think he has a speed advantage. He can break tackles out there. I was thinking, you know, 18-year-old Benjamin Morrison, the one thing he doesn't do great right now is his tackle, obviously. But boy, after the first I don't know, couple broken tackles, couple first downs, that was it. They, they really rallied to the ball. That was tremendous defense. And in my belief Notre Dame would win that game, I never once thought that they would absolutely dominate the line of scrimmage without passing the football. <laughs> if you told me Notre Dame would run for 264 yards, I'd say you're crazy. If you said 190, I'd say, yeah, they're going to run for 190 as long as they can throw the ball. They couldn't throw the ball, and they ran for 264. Yeah, it's. I mean, I thought for Notre Dame to win, they'd have to run it even better than they did two years ago against Clemson, which was a huge ask which they delivered on and then score one non-offensive touchdown and really kind of scored two and a half. Um, yep. If you add Morrison's first pick into like, you know, you just take over in the red zone and punch it in. So it, um, it was an incredible performance. Like they're physical, they were wired the right way. Um, and in some ways, like it makes me view this season as more inconsistent um, because they played up so much on Saturday night. Um, it was really was an impressive performance in that way. And like, you know, it gives sort of Marcus Freeman a, a toehold to, to build from here. Um, you know, if you were fortunate enough to be at the game, I hope you really enjoyed it. Cause it's like, I mean, it's kind of one of those things. It was like the marriage of the Clemson 2020 win and the Utah 2010 win together, where it was a huge moment against a big time opponent. And also like, gave you some belief about where um, the staff can take the program. So it was a, just a really cool, really cool experience, really cool night to be there. Yeah. If you would have said pregame, the Nordic's defensive line will get the best of Clemson's offensive sure. line, you know, okay. I, I get that. Of course the, that was part but, of the way to win. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah but, but the level of dominance by Nordic's offensive line, you know, and I've seen some people, on Twitter, like, oh yeah, Clemson's supposed to have a great defensive line. They do. It, it what happened before Saturday happened, Clemson does, but Notre Dame hammered them. And this offensive line is is um is playing at a level that I mean, I, you know, we expect it to be a strength of the team. I don't know that we expected it to be to the level where I think Josh Lugg is just playing fantastic football. He sealed off Brian Brissy all night, made him ineffective. Uh, KJ Henry against Blake Fisher was a man against a child. He was batting him around. He couldn't get around the football. They only sacked Drew Pine once, and uh, they hit him a couple times. Certainly, they launched him a couple times. But the level of dominance by Notre Dame's offensive line is really eye-opening. And yeah, I, you know, I think it does take Notre Dame to a different phase, whatever the next level, whatever that is. Now we know football, man, and it doesn't, that doesn't mean that Notre Dame has arrived and there's an automatic carryover, especially when you're dealing with what Navy's going to bring Notre Dame. But it's a huge step forward. And uh, to be six and three, you got, I, I asked you this, you guys the other day, you want to change your prediction from six and six or? Well, yeah, because they won, they won the sixth already. Uh, <laughs> still have. I mean, I, I... Navy and Boston College. But isn't that funny that we, it was just like, it was two weeks ago that we were, we were talking about that, that will they, will they be seven and five, six and six? And I thought I was stepping out by saying they'd be seven and five. No, it's, it is. It was five days ago. I got the craziest look I've ever seen when I said I was picking Notre Dame to win the game. <laughs> it's because they, I mean, it's, I honestly, I have, I do have to bring this up. They weren't, 
this is not knocking Notre Dame the game at all. They weren't, they were a three and a half point underdog. I mean, they weren't playing 2019 LSU where you just can't keep up over four quarters and they're going to score 60 points if it keeps going. You can, you can handle Clemson. You, you can get to Clemson if you play great defense and they play better defense than I thought they would. I do wonder if the, if the wind in any way hurt the pat. Like we have a question about, did the wind hurt the passing game? I assumed it did watching the whole time because there weren't a lot of deep shots, but then like it died down and they were able to throw, you know, obviously Clemson was able to throw a little more. Um, the surprise for me is Notre Dame's offensive line. Number one, but strategically Clemson, Uyunglele not running at all was very, or not running in any manner that helped them until they were down yeah. 21 points, right? It was a strange, strange dynamic for me. I don't think it's like there was, he doesn't have to have something there to pull it in order to gain yards like Pine. Like he could, he could run some QB power and gain yards when nothing else is working. Yeah, uh, that, yeah I mean, I was just saying, Clemson's defensive line for people who are like, oh, maybe they're not that good. They were. Yeah, they are. <laughs> but Clemson was giving up 0.69 yards before contact this season to running backs. That was third in the country. Notre Dame finished the game with 2.55 yards before contact for its running backs. I mean, they out-schemed them. They out-hit them. They just whipped them. Um, You know, I thought it was by far uh, Reese's best game in terms of leaning into the strengths of Notre Dame's offense and staying the hell away from its weaknesses. Um, and, and those huddling. two things are hard to do in concert sometimes. And yeah, huddling. Bu- the huddling was cool to watch, right? Yeah. That was that was just part of the game when you're watching. You're like, look at this. The receivers don't go in the huddle. Right. They stand there like wingbacks and wait to move from the play call. That was that was unique. That was really an interesting way of handling it. And then we kept having Len Clark kept saying to me, you're snapping it too fast. They're snapping it too fast. Because <laughs> like 15 seconds of the... I'm like, I don't know. I think that's the plan is they're snapping it. It's interesting though, because you you would think, hey, milk this clock, right, against Clemson. But no, they were they they had the attack plan, and it was uh, it was a funny way to play tempo. It was a much different way to play tempo, huddling tempo. Yeah, Tommy Reese is, yeah, I mean has reinv- has reinvented ways to try to spice up this offense, and that was a that was another little uh, another little aspect of it. Um, so much for the. <laughs> You know, we talked about bye week and that whole thing has been shot down. It, it, we, but we did say bye week should help Clemson a little bit strategically, but it, right. it absolutely, <laughs> it absolutely did not. And I, and I asked, uh, you know, Marcus Freeman about, you know, the perimeter game. I mentioned it before. I mean, uh, they did a tremendous job flow to the football, Benjamin Morrison. I would disagree with you, Tim, about Morrison as a tackler. I think he's a good tackler. I think sometimes he just doesn't have enough ballast. So, you know, he's taking, yeah, well, on, I mean, that counts though. When you get, when people, no, bounce of course, off right. you're too small. No, it, yeah. it does. But if you think about it, he's taking on Davis Allen, yeah, Davis Allen outweighs him by 70 pounds. And Marcus Freeman talked about that. Hey, if you're going to take him on, you're gonna have to tack him a little bit lower. Cause he did get, he, he caught Davis Allen on that, on that first <laughs> yeah. play and, and, and kind of hung on for dear life and got run over a little bit, but uh, you know, Benjamin Morrison, my God, you know, we didn't include this uh, question, Tim, but I mean, freshman performances at cornerback, Julian Love was good as a, was really good as a freshman. He, he was out great of the on a bad team. Yeah. yeah. He was great on a yeah. bad team. But a freshman that had that kind of game, do you, I mean, two interceptions, 196 to the house. I, I don't. Well, no, because everything has to be weighted that you're playing undefeated number four Clemson when you do yeah. that. That's it's, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you could, you could be anybody that makes a play against. NC State, you know, there's there's things that happen when you play UNLV, NC State. Kyle Hamilton's best play as a freshman was against. Uh, I'm sorry, who was the opener? We picked it off New and Mexico. brought it back, right? New Mexico. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. you know it's just a different it's sure. a different level of sure. thing. So, uh, Marcus Freeman mentioned weight class. You you're in a weight class situation with Morrison. This is a different class situation of game that Benjamin Morrison started. Yeah. This is the highest possible version of starring in a game as a freshman. Yeah, yeah it's like kid- I I was just say, like I re- described it like. Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, um, Georgia, like they're in a different tax bracket of the sport. Yeah. Yeah. When is the last time Notre Dame played in one of those games where if you just put all the receivers and corners together, Notre Dame had the best player? That doesn't happen very often. And boy, I tell you what, um, Clemson's receiving core is, is a, it's average. I mean, and again, not when I say these things, I'm not taking anything away from Notre Dame, but I mean, we're talking about Clemson receivers and what we've seen in the past and that's just an average 
average group. Nordheim's running backs. I Logan Diggs. I, I just am so impressed with him week after week. And, and same way with Audric Estime in different ways, Logan Diggs, you know, like he, he explodes at the point of contact when it's time for the, the defensive player to make contact Diggs initiates the con the contact. Oh yeah. He's, I mean, he explodes into the, the tackle attempt, which has got, I mean, that's gotta be disarming for a defensive player. I think the first moment I, was looking at the running game thinking, oh man, they got something going here. Was was when Diggs was his legs drive his leg drive worked against Clemson. Remember that was one of the questions. Diggs' leg drive is great against right. Syracuse and carries Stanford. He can carry all these guys, but carrying Clemson guys for extra yards. And Tim, I think you said at one point it was their first drive where they punted. You're like, well that's a good push. You're like, you know, they punted and yeah. They punted there they, were three yard there were three yard gains, but it yeah. was like, okay, they're getting off the ball. Yeah, I think, and it's one of those things Pete has referenced before. Like sometimes they do a thousand things, a bad Notre Dame offense, or or a, or even like in basketball, you do a thousand things just to get that three pointer off, or you do a thousand things to gain those nine yards on an amazing play. Work. You're like, yeah. all right, well now there's 74 more plays in this game. Let's see if you can do that every time. But no, yeah. this was just line them up and move them out. And I like you know, the the talking about estimate. I mean, he there's some fundamental things that I really love about the way he runs. He he runs square to the line of scrimmage. And he can cut left or right off of that. So if he doesn't get resistance, he can keep plowing forward. But he's also he also has really, really great feet for a 230-pounder. And I, I, the only comparison I can make, and I'm not saying he's as good as him. You know who I'm going to say. But, like, that was Lou Holtz always talked about Jerome Bettis' feet. I've, he, he had never seen a big man with the kind of feet that Jerome Bettis had. Well, estimate shows some of that same stuff where he, where he hits the line of scrimmage, he's square to the line of scrimmage. He can read his blocker and he can do that little skip step left, or he can do it right. And it's really a seamless transition from power straight ahead to quick move, right. Or quick move left. He, those two guys together have become a tremendous, tremendous duo. They're, they're, they're getting it. Obviously the offensive line is killing people. But the way they're running accentuates it even further. The estimate is much more nimble with his feet than I would have ever thought. Yeah. Way more nimble than I would have ever thought. Yeah, and it's cool because those were the preseason stories that were written about him all August without anybody having any idea if it was true. Unveiling. No, because it was, you know, you just see him on film. Of course, his feet look good on film in high school. Like it was an amazing, you didn't, we did when I say that uh, nobody in the media saw hitting um, in August. Right, right. So we didn't know if Audric, how Audric Esme would really, really handle that. And they're a fun, they're a fun running game to watch. It's so it's a, it's a good Notre Dame offense. It's a good Notre Dame team, a good Notre Dame offense and great sign for them when they're fun to watch running the football because they really have to be. And man, Marcus yeah. Freeman is driving that point home in press conferences physicality run the football stop the run it's yeah i love it i mean you know obviously you have to expand what you do in the passing game but not this year you You can't do that right you can't (laughs) do that right now so we can sit around and bemoan that for the rest of the year but it is what it is and you have to take advantage of the the assets that you have i do want to commend Jaden thomas i thought he, he thought he blocked his butt off in in that game um you know he was the only white out to to catch a pass yeah um and one of them was for negative yardage. He had the 15 yarder, which was probably Drew Pine's best pass. That was a tremendous throw. That was a great, that was yeah. a great throw and, and, and a great catch too. Uh, I thought Chris Tyree, I mean, he did some good thing. He had 26 yards rushing and 26 yards receiving. Maybe that's what his, yeah. his role and kind of balance is. Um, I think we have a question. I'm not sure if I included that about Tyree, but I do think that that is part of what he does. And, and uh you know, defensively, I, that's, can I can I say this? Is it is it okay for me to say that JD JD Bertrand played great because he did? Um, you know, I thought, you know, the way that the way the DBs rallied to the football just jumped off the screen to me because it uh, not that they haven't done it this year, but they did it to a level that we had not seen. Not a couple other things, a couple other things I want to mention from. Um, Marcus Freeman's press conference, and then you guys can chime in. Brandon Joseph is questionable for this weekend. He has a sprained ankle. Uh, Drew Pine, I want to save that for a question. The um, second segment, Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting that 
Marcus Freeman after the game at probably one one thirty, went to his office like he always does and went over the game film, regardless of of the time. And and uh, yeah, that's surprising. I didn't, <laughs> that was yeah. that's a, and I didn't, you know, I didn't realize. I mean, I knew that he was arguing with the ref about what he thought was a was a targeting targeting penalty. Uh, perpetrated upon Drew Pine. I didn't realize that he was close to getting a 15-yard penalty. Were you? I, I mean, apparently, either, no. apparently, because I, I do know that Matt Bayless kind of intervened at one point, and it sounded like the players who uh, have heard him say, "You're not worth 15 yards." No one in the program is. Right. No one in the program is worth 15 yards. <laughs> so they were yelling to him, "No one in the program is worth 15 <laughs> yards." That's really funny. If you get a sideline warning, I, I guess sort of by definition, you're pretty close. Yeah. Okay. You're right. You're right. right. Yeah, you're right. I guess I didn't put two and two together there, but from, uh, from Freeman today, what do you guys want to add? Any? I mean, more so that his, <laughs> his steadfast belief in remaining physical, it's, it's not as much the Clemson game is that, you know, he's, he's, we have physical practices. We're going to continue to have physical practices and we're going to be physical all through November. It's just an interesting approach because if nobody lost that game, people would lose their minds that they're too physical in practice. Yeah. And it is, I, I it was, have to that say he was too that physical in August, that he was too I mean, physical in the spring, right? Our radars kind of went up a little bit ago when we were at Notre Dame, when he said that, because it's like, man, they usually taper be... in November and they are successful. Right. Tapering and he in mentioned that he met with the sports performance uh, group of people. And, you know, I mean, it's not that he's not monitoring that, but when you hear that they're going to continue to be physical through November, you, you've got to be, you've got to be really, really careful. Michigan 2019. Maybe that's what happened to Clemson this weekend. Uh, too physical. Maybe. <laughs> maybe, too maybe physical yeah. Maybe they, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think you could be physical just like instead of practicing for two hours, you practice for 75 minutes. Um, and he mentioned that. He did less. mention that. Yep. Um, I think, you know, something that popped out to me was he wasn't asked about players of the game. And then it was like, by the way, Drew Pine was the offensive player of the game. Because I don't think a lot of people would have been like, yes, that was the most impressive performance on the offensive side of the ball. But with him is like, helping out a little bit in the run game like that made a big difference um you know it's a that was a touchdown run and uh i think another significant run in the second half so it was um well, that was kind of interesting and i think it's important that tommy reese continues to press that button when it looks like okay they're overplaying 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 you got to let them run and he needs to get down if he's you know if if an impending uh major contact is coming up but i think it's important that they do mix that in because they sure that was his first career touchdown run running. I mean, they should, you know, opponents are not going to be looking for that when you have to take on digs and, and estimate all day and that offensive line, of course, you're not looking for drew pine running. So I think that's a, that's a couple, you're not, you're only going to do it a couple of times, but you need to choose the most strategic important times when, um, when, when that can benefit you. And I thought Reese did a really great job of that Saturday. He is capable. Like, you know, it's funny because, Tommy Reese mentioned it like he's more nimble. I think it was August. He's like more nimble than people give him credit for. He does look like he can move once in a while. <laughs> like the run to the right. Not every time. Be. No, it doesn't. Not every time. But some, it really does look like he it was a nice run for the touchdown. I mean, well, especially when you're used to seeing the way Ian Book would just. Well, that's yeah, not even just, close. No, I, I know. Mean, but yeah. but that's the image that's still yeah. in your head of quarterback takes off. <laughs> undersized quarterback. It's, you know, you know, I have one more thing for the Clemson game for you. How about when they interviewed Ian Book? <laughs> I wish Pete, I could suit go up. Ahead, Pete. Go ahead, Pete. Yeah, he said they did like sort of the uh, sideline or the in-house person interviewed him, and he was just like, "Oh, it's great to be here. Talk about the fans." And you know, I wish I. And he said, "I wish I could suit up." And there was a very audible, "Please" from the, from the crowd, <laughs> which I thought tough. was hilarious. There was also one time, Tim. Remember when? Nordane was pounding the ball. I don't know at what point it was, but Nordane was pounding pounding the ball and and Pine dropped back to pass and you could hear an audible <laughs> sigh of disappointment from the crowd that Nordane was not running on that play. I also like the I mean that's just not that's, <laughs> it's human nature when something starts working like that. You go back to your complaints for the last 40 years. Just run the ball. So that's the feeling that's there, but I really it was funny. Hey, Michael Mayer didn't expect to pass either and Drew Pine 
No, it didn't. The post-game press conference, <laughs> Mayer's yes. talking about the, the play that comes in where Drew Pine throws him a touchdown pass to tie the record. And Mayer said, yeah, Pine got the call. And he's like, what? Really? We're passing? <laughs> in other words, they, they, were with the sta- they were with the people in the stands. They expected to run the rest of the game. I can't believe they ran that well without passing. That is the biggest takeaway for me from that football game. Knock me over with a feather. They did not have to pass. And they beat Clemson like it was beating Navy running the football. Patterson and all together are are an unstoppable force. And then, I mean, you look at the tight ends. I mean, Mitchell Evans is blocking well too. In in addition to to Michael Mayer, they're just thrashing people up front. And uh, I, I will remind people that I believe Navy is allowing three point one eight yards per carry. He's dead. Uh, He's dead's terrible. After like the fifth stuff next yeah. week, there's gonna be a problem. Okay, I, I, I think a lot a lot of the uh, uh, Navy is also horrible against the pass. So it will be interesting to see what happens. We'll talk more about Navy and a few other things in segment two, burning up the boards. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame, an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from step off under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at dodublin.ie. In 1916, Irish rebel forces have taken up position on the north side of Dublin's St. Stephen's Green Park. They exchange fire with the British to the south. Suddenly, a man enters the park with a brown bag above his head. Both sides cease fire. The park's groundskeeper has come to feed the ducks. For the next six days, there is a daily ceasefire so the ducks can be fed. Learn more when you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. Segment two of Burning Up the Boards, our first question comes from Any Davis 2. Guy I often see at uh, stoplights <laughs> once in a while Shout around, out. around, around, yeah, around Granger, Indiana. Shout out. Any- what, <laughs> what clicked on defense? Yes. There were hints of dominance against Syracuse last week, and it appears Notre Dame finally has a unit that can dictate games. Yeah, I don't. Again, I don't. I don't want to say okay, they've arrived and now it's going to be like that every week because I, you know, for whatever reason they were they were totally dialed in and Clemson was not. And again, I don't say that to take anything away from Notre Dame, but uh, we talked about the perimeter. They jumped on everything, and that that was emphasized. I and mean, Marcus Freeman said that was a huge emphasis going in. I just think I think it it, it all starts at the point of attack and the D line just whipped their offensive line. I, I, of course, Notre Dame offensive line against their defensive line was the bigger surprise, but still to the extent that Notre Dame's D line did that against what I thought was a, was a, a pretty decent, a better Clemson offensive line than a couple that we've seen in recent years. I think they played up. Um, that's it's college football. You know, it's teams play up all the time. Um, and it's like, it's okay for Notre Dame to do it as long as you then don't play down the next couple of weeks. But Notre Dame was as locked in defensively as, man, I'm not sure the last time I remember them sort of being that physical and rallying to the ball that way. I mean, Ohio State, maybe to a lesser <sighs> extent, right? Way lesser extent. Um, Physic, phys- yeah, less physical for sure. They were yeah, really less well, physical. Yeah. You know, I thought Bertrand and Leofow were so physical. You know, Bertrand incredibly skilled with diagnosing what's going. And then, like, I just, I love the way they use Leofow as just sort of like this weapon, um, opposed to just like a linebacker and reading things out. Like, I thought that he was, he played well too when they used him that way. So it was, um, they're just really dialed in. I, I thought it was, it was way more mentality than scheme. I don't, there was, I don't, I didn't watch the game and think like, wow, L golden is really just like on it today with these calls. It was just like, they're just physically beating them up. Yeah. I think what clicked though, to give some credit might be a good defensive coordinator learning more and more about his personnel and his team and everything working as the season progresses, like a lot of teams do. Now it's a little too, it's much later, right. Than you would have guessed. Like mm-hmm. last year with Marcus Freeman is like game three, right. We're all of a sudden like, wow, they got a defense is a lot better than it was at the beginning of the year. I, I think the physicality, the fact that they haven't always been that physical, I don't get, I don't know why physicality shows up some games. It doesn't, you think that'd be like the one thing that shows up all the time. Um, but Pete, I agree with you. The use of Leofow, that is what we were kind of hoping for, uh, year and a half ago and going into August during that August camp it's 
Al Golden said about Leofau when we asked him what he where his struggles were coming from. He's like, well, he started five games in his career. That's where his struggles were coming from. So maybe he was right. Maybe you're going to see more from Maris Leofau uh, as a fifth-year senior next year as well, along with J.D. Bertrand, because as Freeman said today, we couldn't take those guys out. They were playing great. Why would, why would like Prince, Prince Colley didn't rotate in. Jack Kaiser barely rotated in to the right. middle. He would sometimes help them out. So they were just playing too well. They, they were playing tremendous football. You know, I didn't say it until the tape, but I was thinking it. And I don't know why I didn't write it that, that I thought that was the best that I've seen Maris Leofau play. And I, and I think it'll be really interesting to see how his role evolves under Al Golden moving into next season, because, um, you know, he is a weapon and we we've been saying this for weeks when they use him in attack mode, he's a, he's a significant weapon for them. Yeah. They'll be more rotating because Kali will play. He will have earned all the trust yeah. and and then you can find a way that he's Leofow in many ways too. He'll be playing weak side linebacker. He could be playing weapon. <laughs> Patel will be yeah. playing probably Viper or weapon as well. Like I think they have some weapon positions and that that's great in the modern era to have weapon. And Patello, I know he showed up big on, on special teams, but there was another time where he, and uh, Osafa Mensa has become the the king of setting the edge. I, he did it again well against Clemson, and I saw Botello do it too. Usually, he's just kind of, you know, going for it and freelancing, which is why he can't get on the field. And I saw him set the edge as well. So he's beginning to understand. It looks like, um, you know, the true definition of one eleventh of the defense. Mm-hmm. And when he does that, he's going to get on the field more. Question from Fighting Irish 8. This was the biggest upset of my lifetime. For context, I'm only 24. What's the biggest Notre Dame upset you can remember? It's hard because you have to go with what you knew about the team going into the game. Like, in 93, I thought Michigan was going to kill Notre Dame when they went up there as nine-point underdogs and just kind of Beat the, living day, beat the living daylights <laughs> out of Michigan up and down. And, and Kevin McDougal looked like Randall Cunningham. And and I think by the time they played FSU as seven-point underdogs, most people at Notre Dame were like, eh, I think Notre Dame's going to do pretty well in this game. Whether they would beat Florida State or not, you knew they could run the ball. But I think that Michigan game is the biggest surprise I've ever had in 93 in Ann Arbor. Notre Dame was by far the better team. If you look at the score, I think it ends up being 27-23. It was not even close to a 27-23 game. They were way better the whole game. So kind of like this one, at least this one stayed. I'm glad they didn't get like a 35-21 score out of this one. 35-7 would look better, though, for all the people like to complain about the last touchdown. Even Marcus Freeman agreed. He said it was his fault. Yeah. <laughs> I try like games where I've been like, wow, I, I did not see that coming at all. Like, um, I think Florida State in 2002 for yes, me was one. one. Like that's I thought one. they were going to get destroyed down there, and they they were they were they were up on them, similar to how they were up on Clemson. Really? Um, oh yeah, they were killing. And then <laughs> um, you know, it's like even I think Willingham had a game where they won at Tennessee, and Tennessee was in the top ten. That's and like, a good one. Notre Dame had no business in 17, that. 13, Yeah, yeah. And then my favorite awesome terrible game of all time uh, when Notre Dame was a twenty point underdog at UCLA in 2007. Is the the Maurice Crum slash McLeod Bethel yeah. Thompson game? Any game they would have won that year for their how, first win would have been the craziest thing of all time. I mean, I realize how bad Notre Dame was, but 20, 20 point underdog in that game. That's I know still, it's just like what? Yeah. Hey, just to clarify, the Tim, reason they were, Marcus get, they were Freeman not said, covering as twenty one point underdogs all year up to no, that I re- game. no, I know, <laughs> I know, I know, but, but you know how I felt about McLeod Bethel Thompson, so. <laughs> Uh, is that his name or I usually the mix third. I don't the third. have, I don't have the names in order when I say his name, he played in the NFL. So I'm an idiot, but, um, Marcus Freeman said, just to clarify the reason that last touchdown was his fault was because he was telling Al golden that no big plays, no big plays, make them drive use clock. And that's what they did. They had two 11 play drives, but again, I, I you know, I said it, I still believe it. I, you don't look at those the same way you do the other touchdown drives, in the second half this year, it was completely different. Notre Dame had manhandled them and you understood what the defense was doing at that, that point. You understood why they, they played it that way. With regard to the question, like when I hear upset and you guys pointed out some really good ones, but usually upset means that Notre Dame's like bad that year. I mean, just not the UCLA, of course they were bad that year, but you know, usually when you say upset, it's because it's a lesser Notre Dame team. Mm -hmm. That's, that's playing in the 2012 game against Oklahoma. Do you remember what I, I, I looked it up. Do you remember Tim, what the spread was? 
They were, is it 10 and a half? It was 12, or at least oh. what I saw was 12. And Notre Dame won by 17 in that game. So, and uh, Samson can attest to how surprised I was that Notre Dame won that game because I could hardly. Uh, yeah, that was a great post-game instant analysis. I I it was. Like, one of those had, stadium roadies walked through our shot and I shoved them away. We had uh, <laughs> Samson showing his physicality at the end yes, of the game. Gosh, yes. I was dialed in. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, Fighting Irish 8, there have been a few. Um, but, you know, I kind of look at that as when you say upset, it's because Notre Dame wasn't truly, truly wasn't expected to win uh, and didn't. I, I think we all, obviously, O'Malley predicted a win this game. Um, I mean, I hope that my commentary leading up reflected that I thought Notre Dame could win. I just didn't. I thought at the end of the day, it just wouldn't be quite enough. And as it turned out, it was way, way more than they actually needed. Question from Irish guy. 8282. Actually, uh, we kind of addressed this, but now that I identified yeah. him, I'm going to follow through with it. <laughs> Were you surprised by the lack of running from uh, DJ Uyangalele? Uh, thought that he would be a bigger factor in the game. Tim, I turned to you at one point in the first half and I'm like, why aren't they running him? Yeah, I, I to the point, I'm, I'm so surprised. I'm going to look and see if I can read Dabo Sweeney's press conference from today and find out if anybody asked him that question because it's really strange. He's clearly capable of it. He has a 40-yard touchdown run this year. He's, I think he, I'm I'm going to estimate because I can't, I have Will Shipley's numbers mixed up with DJ's 25 forced missed tackles by Uyungale this season in eight games as a quarterback. Like, why would you not yeah, use and that I, weapon? It's I really think weird. I, I said on Thursday in our podcast that they use, they, they use him in so many different ways to run the football. Right. It's like we not understood. running Kaiser in 15. It'd be like if Deshaun Kaiser just sat there and struggled in the pocket in 2015. You're like, why, yeah, why would you not run get, that guy? Well, that, I mean, that was like, like Greg McElroy the week before against Garrick Schrader didn't mention that Schrader wasn't running the football. I mean, how do you not, how do you not think right. of that? Especially when, you know, you're the analyst that's been studying them all week. I, you know, I was surprised at that. They ran him more in the second half because, you know, I it just became obvious that they needed to do that to loosen Notre Dame defense up, but it wasn't obviously it didn't loosen them up enough. But that that was surprising. He's not, you know, I don't think he's as good a runner as Schrader. I don't think he's as good a runner as May, really, and a lot of Derek, uh, Drake May. But he is effective. He's certainly capable. I don't understand what Clemson was trying to accomplish offensively at all. Like I thought their game plan was just a hot mess, um, and. I walked out of that being like, what would the Notre Dame fan base say about Tommy Reese if the quarterbacks who were struggling were both five-star prospects? Because, like, Uwe Ungale has not gotten any better from where he was when he came to Notre Dame two years. He's, like, had some peaks and valleys. He's played well at times this year. But I just – I felt like I was watching, like, a robot out there who happened to be six foot four and 235 pounds, and, like, I wouldn't want any piece of him if I was he doesn't, a, a linebacker trying to tackle him. He doesn't see the field, you know? No. And I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's as, as, as acute as what some of the issues that Brandon Wimbush dealt with, but I just don't feel like he sees what's unfolding in front of him very well. No, it's is- like Notre Dame would come up and show blitz. And I swear they, they could have just said, Hey, we're blitzing you on this play. And he wouldn't have reacted any differently to holding the ball. It was very strange. Glad it happened though. I'm glad that was the plan. It worked out nicely for everybody involved. Well, Brian, 1112. Do you see Chris Tyree getting more looks in the passing game to get him more touches? Yeah. I think we touched upon this a little bit. I, I, I yeah, I, I think you have to do you, I mean, do you really what you want him to get his touches but you don't want it to be at the expense of handing the ball to Diggs and estimate. So the offshoot of that is right to get him the football in space. And that's where he's as best anyway. So I would imagine that, you know, as Dela McCullough continues to look at it and Tommy Reese does, I, I think the best way to use Tyree is to give certainly you want to give him some carries, but give him the ball, give him the ball in space. And with his, as Lorenzo styles and, Notre Dame's wideouts continue to struggle to get the football. I'm sure that I, I like, I'm sure that Tommy Reese is looking at that, that, you know, that's the best way to use Chris Tyree. The, the passing game. 
get them the ball in space. No, I just what's the passing game? Oh. <laughs> yeah. The passing game is get the ball to Chris Tyree. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought they did a nice like that was one of the things I thought Reese did well of is like he asked Pine to make the throws that he can make. And I, I realized he skipped that one to Styles at Syracuse, which he went off, but like he can hit Tyree on those flares into the flat, and like Tyree can do some damage. So I thought that was those were those were smartly called. I realized it was just two receptions, but they mattered. Yeah, I, I think Tyree. Uh, I'm sure we, if I if I asked Tommy Reese this one, like my last two weeks, where I ask him things about where the offense could improve, he'll give me the same look. But uh, he'll probably point out when I talked about the screen game last time. Well, we did try to drop it down to Chris Tyree <laughs> a couple of times in previous games, and the ball was dropped. No, obviously they trust Tyree still. So I would assume Tyree in the passing game. Look, was it this? Stanford game or UNLV game. I don't know. They're starting to run together at home other than Clemson forever uh, where Chris Terry was wide open running down the seam. And Tim, you said it's a tough angle or the pass didn't let go over either one of Tyree's shoulders. It was straight down. Um, that was that UNLV game, I think, but it's uh, they, have, they have to use him that way. Cause he's still a weapon that way. I thought he was getting away once in this game. Did you see it was a second quarter run over the left side, over left tackle. I was like, oh, he might have a step, but it just wasn't there. And I'm I'm surprised we have not seen that yet this season. Yeah. Question from Irish from A2. Given the success in the run game, are you surprised the longest TD run this this team has this season is 12 yards? Yes, I, actually I, did. I did not know that. <laughs> I didn't I didn't actually know. I didn't know that. But I'm not surprised by that. But you guys, uh, I'll tell you why, but you guys go ahead. Uh I I guess I'm a little surprised because well, the receivers are. Such I'm surprised good by it only being 12 well, yards. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we're all in agreement. We're surprised yeah. it's tw- it's only 12 yards, but I I think it has as much to do with the receivers and what a job they're doing downfield blocking as it does how talented the running backs are. You know, like they 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 have all the components in place to have a couple 70 yard touchdown runs, and they just don't. Tim, you said you have a, a thought on that. Well, I, they run, they are running so much inside zone and, and both yeah. running backs are, you know, I mean, it's almost like they're, it's almost like they're seeking defenders to crash into. It, it's not, they're not, they're not running. And it's really surprising to say this about Diggs Cause I mean, the old Logan Diggs would have tried to, you know, kick everything wide. And I, and it's almost like they're, they're seeking defenders to plow. And so 12 yards is a, no, I'm shocked by the, the length of that. If you had said, you know, 22 yards. Okay. But I think a lot of it is just blocking scheme and they're whipping people so badly up front that you're not seeing a lot of outside zone. I want to bring this up about Logan Diggs because I don't think he gets enough credit. Logan Diggs was terrible in game two. Did not play game three. You could argue it did not play coach's decision game three as well against California. And he has been fantastic ever since he break. He's the one that breaks the team down in the huddles. It's Logan Diggs in the middle of a whole team when they're doing the, like the fire up, they ever get everything ready. It's Logan Diggs. He's coming to talk to us twice as a representative of the offense. And he is a thousand times more physical than he was last year. Unless I just don't remember what I was watching last year. I, do you ever remember Logan Diggs acting like this last year? The way I, he runs the football. I no. saw it a little. I saw it a little bit on high school film. But okay, okay. But in but, very very small doses because he preferred to try to hit the home run. Yeah. But at Notre Dame, no, we had not we had not seen anything like this. And I, you know, I mean, all everybody being equal or everybody everything being the same but not the same. It's Dylan McCullough that is. Yeah, pounded that into his head. It pounded it into. I didn't think he. I don't think he had to pound it into, to uh, estimate's head Apparently because not. that's that's who he is. But, <laughs> but he, I can't you know, do anything I else. Get, <laughs> yeah, it's this is. I I can't come to any other conclusion that the, other than this is Dylan McCullough that finally convinced him to do it. He's and then when he an had, NFL player, right? Exactly. And then yep. then when he had success with it, the credit now goes to Diggs, who says, "Okay, I get it. Here I go." Next question from Kay Beasley. Notre Dame has clearly found its identity as a ground and pound team where Drew Pine has attempted to pass <laughs> less than 20 times the last two games. Why did it take so long just to commit to this style when they knew their personnel was set up this way all year? It's a good question. That's actually 
Good question. Uh, they couldn't I mean, have beaten th- Stanford if they planned this if they had this plan of attack. They only they only rushed for 150 yards against yeah. Stanford. They ran 34 times. I, I you know I here's my re- reaction to it in that I mean I, the offensive line wasn't just blasting people like this and Diggs. I mean, Diggs wasn't running like this out of the gate. I I think it's kind of easy in retrospect to look back and say that now. Well, I don't think game one and two is Stanford either. Like, I think they found their stride by that. They had just, they had just run over North Carolina and BYU. You know, I I'm surprised. I'm surprised that it was, I'm surprised Stanford happened. That's all I can say. All right. <laughs> I'm surprised Stanford happened. The whole yeah, thing. No, I am too. I well, totally how much, get Marshall. I totally understand the Marshall. But, thing. but how much did Pine throw? I don't have it right here in front of me. How much did Pine throw against North Carolina and BYU? He threw a fair amount of games. I mean, but it was more good. Than, like, yeah, it worked. There were well, people open. Yeah. yeah. Well, right. And so when that was good, going into the Stanford game, you're yeah. thinking you still have the quarterback that can hit open receivers. That's true. I, I, they, they certainly felt they had a quarterback that could beat Stanford by occasionally throwing the football, I would think, going to that yeah. game. Yeah. That, so, I, I mean, mean the Stanford game's tough to reconcile, but it's – these are the power five teams who average fewer passing attempts per game than Notre Dame. Navy. Kansas, power five. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Kansas, Wisconsin, Minnesota. End of list. So I feel like they that's that's for the season. That's just not for the last couple of weeks. Wow. So I feel like they have sort of leaned into this for a while. So, and I realize you cannot just remove the Stanford game from discussion here, but that's the, that's the one where I think Reese sort of got fooled um, about like, Hey, we can be more balanced based on BYU and North Carolina, which is a totally reasonable conclusion to come to. Right. Yeah. yeah, No, I agree. And, but like against Stanford, did you at any point feel like, wow, Notre Dame's going to be able to just run all over them? Well, when we saw the size of their line, when we were previewing the game, we did though. I thought they were were going to be able to. Why didn't they? I don't know. Well, I, I mean, that, 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 that's just, I, I'm just trying to make my point that I, I, they ran it 34 times and they didn't, run, they didn't run it particularly well. They didn't do anything well. They didn't do anything well offensively in that game. I just think that it's easy to kind of look back now and come to this conclusion, but it's all coming together now. Look, Notre Dame, Notre Dame didn't deserve to beat Stan. I know a lot of people are bemoaning Marshall and Stanford. This isn't a playoff team. You don't have a playoff level quarterback. It, it you know, should they'd they like be, to be ranked number 12. People would well, like to be ranked number 12. I, I, I get that. I, and to me, the Marshall, I may have said this before and not everybody's going to agree. I can accept the Marshall loss more better than the, more than the Stanford loss. Because I, I, Marshall, I, I agree. Right. Marshall outplayed them. Uh, in, in a young, inexperienced head coach didn't have his team ready to bounce back from everything that they invest in Ohio State. That's not an accusation. That's just a reality of the situation. The Stanford loss is the one, especially when, especially when Samson comes to me at a certain point on Saturday and says, "Did have do you see the Stanford score? Well, yeah. it was what was it at halftime? It was forty-two to seven at halftime Washington at home State. to Washington, Washington State." State. They so are playing the a safety that, at running back instead of our guy Filkins, though. Their top four running backs are out for the season. They're out completely. They're, they converted a safety to start at running back. Filkins got hurt? They're all out. Every running back Stanford has is out. So they're too physical in practice, I guess. David Shaw, old school. But no, they are, uh, yeah, they have nothing. They played a safety at running back. You can't just replace Casey Filkins. <laughs> they played Houston Griffith at running back, guys. Okay, they're allowed to lose the game. They That's didn't have what, to do that against Notre Dame. There was... Yeah, so, I mean, I look, K. Beasley, I, I, I get it. I just think that it's not seasons unfold the way they unfold sometimes. And you would like to be proactive with every decision that you make, but having been in a position where you make a lot of decisions in competitive athletics, they don't always work. And this is, this is one where they just, it, the, the running game hadn't completely unfolded like you wanted it to. And they went, when they played Stanford, they, they played, so poorly that they didn't have, they had no identity against Stanford. They played poorly defensively against Stanford too, for part of the, considering yeah. who they were playing. No, they against. Did. I mean, it's in, in, in spots. They did product seven. Is that product? You think or PR, know, produce seven or produce yeah. seven, despite a gutty and turnover free performance from drew pine against Clemson. I don't believe the passing game was any better than the last few weeks. Does this win over Clemson change your perspective on how Notre Dame should handle the quarterback position the rest of the season? 
See, Pete, that's why I was going to remind you. Don't say anything about Pine until we get that's to okay. the people already didn't, it. People already didn't pay attention to it. He's so player of the game. He was, yeah. off, he was named Offensive Player of the Game by Notre Dame. And I, look, on the outside looking in, of course, that seems silly. I get, I get that. But they're not. It is. It is still silly. It just. He it, did a good. He, he's just. It was silly. That's silly. It, it, it was. But that is hey, silly. you know, those are the those are things that you do internally within right. a team. And and Drew Pine, it doesn't hurt to to bestow that upon him to make him feel a little bit better about, you know, what he's going to do. But look, they're not going to. They're not going to play Steve Angeli. The, the, he's not going to supplant him. <laughs> is that the question? No, yes. but that's the subject. Oh, I thought yeah, it was like, the should they run more or pass more or do different things? No, 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 that, no, that is the oh, question. No, yeah, and whether that's, whether that's right or wrong, whatever, they're not going to change quarterbacks this year unless Pine is injured. If that's wrong, okay, that's wrong. But the reality is he's going to stay at quarterback because they absolutely believe he gives them the best opportunity to win. Yeah, I don't, I agree with, Brodu seven that um, the passing game really was not that much better against Clemson. Than I agree it was with that as well. The other games they drew pine was one of six passing on third down for two yards and they didn't yeah. convert a single one of those. Um, but man, I, if I was an earning fan, I would, I would, and I was saying like, it can't get any worse. I would look at what Kate Klubnik did and then be like, Oh, Oh, that I guess that it could get worse. Um, you could throw across your body from your own end zone and just give away seven points. Um, I realized DJ Uingale threw a pick six a little bit later. That seemed to be much more of a miscommunication with the receiver opposed to just a unforgivable throw from a freshman quarterback who was in over his head uh, in a big spot. So I, I don't think they're going to change a whole lot in the passing game moving forward. I want to remind everyone to stay off of Twitter during games because I did see, I accidentally went on there. Maybe it was late at night and I saw Pete Sampson get a tweet from someone that asked you if they should take out Pine during the game for Steve Angeli in the third quarter. Am I right about that? You had <laughs> no, that, right? You were right. It was a rare, like, I'm quote tweeting this person. I'm sorry, um, but you will be put on blast for everyone to see that <laughs> this is a stupid suggestion during the game. Yeah, the, the, here's just the, the Nordian coaching staff looks at is that the positives that Drew Pine brings in the entire aspect of the quarterback position far outweigh a, a pass or two batted down over the course of a game or honestly, far they do that with every single player they play too. correct. The positives outweigh the negatives. We play this guy. Yep. I know people hate. Are you saying they play the best players? I know people hate the fact that. that there's that young guys on the bench, but yeah, seriously. Huh. I mean, they look at Clarence Lewis had a lot of starts under his belt and it was not him picking off two passes. They play question the best player. For, question from Matty Heaves 14 after some early season growing pains has the Notre Dame offensive line grown into contenders for the Joe Moore award. Ooh, um, prob. I mean, con- contenders. Yeah. Yeah. Top 10. Um, sure. They beat, I bet they're yeah. top 10 semifinalists uh, type thing. You know, but like you referenced, they could not run the ball on Stanford, which has a terrible run defense. Um, they couldn't run the ball on Marshall, which actually has a good run defense. Um, but man, they had an they had an awesome butt kicking performance on Saturday night. And if they have three more awesome butt kicking performances, Notre Dame will finish nine and three, and everyone should feel good about the direction of the run game and the offensive line. Yeah, I think that's that's the point. When when you're nine and three. You can definitely have that conversation because that means the offensive line continued its dominance with one hiccup since week 2.5. Do you guys know, you know, where, yeah. Do you know where uh, Notre Dame is ranked rushing offense at this stage? No, but I know their rush efficiency against Clemson was 72%. Are they the top 20? 28th. 28th. Okay. With a chance to obviously supplement as they, they go forward. But I, you know, um, these kind of things, if we didn't ask that question last week, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we talk about every seven days. If we didn't ask the question whether they were in the running last week, then then is this week enough to put them in the running for that? Probably, since since you rushed for 263 against Clemson's it, yeah, defensive it, front. It, in college football, it counts more because yeah. if they had that performance against Navy, they would not go from unranked right. to whatever they're going to be ranked in the po- in the playoff right. poll. It's going to be higher than 20 in the playoff poll. 
You think it will be? Yeah, just a little bit. It'll be a little higher than 20, I think. The coaches didn't get the memo, though. They only had the 25th. Care. They, shouldn't, they shouldn't vote anyway. They should. <laughs> what the hell do they, they know? Half of them fired. What do they know? Come on. Well, only the coaches <laughs> that insist on voting actually vote. They're too busy actually playing their, do the voting. That's yeah. true. They're too busy playing their favorite players instead of the best ones. That's the problem with the coaches. We should ask Marcus Freeman about that. Just, I mean, it would be up there with your J.D. Bertrand question to Al Golden. Just, to, just like float it out there and let them take it wherever they want to take it. Like no follow-up, no explanation. Marcus, do you play the best players? And then just hand the mic off. So I, Al Golden goes, J.D.? Like, yeah, he had yeah. no idea. That was tremendous. Are you talking about J.T. Bertrand <laughs> or J.D. Bertrand? <laughs> J- J- JD's not playing well. What? What? I, uh, Missed a tackle last year. T- do they have? Do they have a top ten? Do what? Like what is Joe Moore? Do, do they have? They I remember they I think it's top ten because in 2018 they made the top ten semifinalists, and I was like, uh, that's just because they won it the year before. In 2018, they did not deserve to be. No, no, Joe Moore finalist. Yeah, I'm looking. So in the at the end of November. They announced semi. They announced thirteen semifinalists wow. last year, so should be there. A couple, couple weeks away from that, I would think that they would be among the thirteen best offensive lines. Okay, we're going to pick up the pace here a little bit. Dallas Irish eighty three. With all the talk about the win pregame, can you point to any player or any series of plays where the win had an appreciable impact? Watching on television, it didn't seem to come into play at all. Lack of downfield attacking would be my only one in the first half when the win was much worse than the second half. Yeah, I I don't think it got to Pine because they didn't ask him to do stuff. Yeah. Um, and like Uyunglele's arm strength like makes wind almost irrelevant. I feel like like that guy could just it just whistles through the wind. Yeah. I mean, he might not go where he wants it to go, but <laughs> he throws a nice uh, ball. It comes out. In yeah, a yeah. fourth I mean, I and four, that... he took a really nice deep shot that made no sense. But yeah, I yeah that boy that was and he threw the wrong guy. He had a different receiver open. Yeah. Remember Tim? We were looking at it from above. Yeah, that's like, right. Oh yeah, because you're like he's open. I he's open and he threw the other guy. <laughs> uh, I think it affected. I think it affected. You know, I think the impression is that when you're kicking with the wind, it doesn't affect you, but it does. It does then too. And I thought it affected Groupie's field goal mm. attempt. Although you know his his can hook a little bit. I don't know, but. You know, when you see like holds that when it's a real deliberate hold because you're trying to fight the wind, they had to hold um, Notre Dame had to hold for kickoffs. The wind yeah, yeah, I think, I think at the it, beginning of the game, like Logan Diggs' towel was like flapping in the wind when he was just in the backfield behind Drew Pine. So, I mean, it was, yeah, it didn't was the really ball windy. blow away once before at center, like before Correll put the hand down, yeah, like the ball have, rolled yeah. in the backfield or something. Right. I think yeah. right at the start of the game, it did. Yeah. Right, the, like before the first snap. I know that, look, playing baseball in wind in northern Indiana, northern Indiana, I mean, obviously a lot. I think it's just called playing baseball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but like, you know, you, you think, okay, how does the wind affect a ground ball? Well, because the wind's in your face mm-hmm. or it's blowing sideways. It do, it impacts you in ways that aren't necessarily yeah. visible on, on television. Question from Irish. I was tailgating. It wasn't long ago that cornerback recruiting similar to the quarterback recruiting looked similar to wide receiver recruiting the past few years. Can you talk about the job that Mike Mickens has done recruiting and coaching the position? Well, it's good timing because the uh, MVP of the game was a freshman cornerback. He has brought in and developed. And to Marcus Freeman's credit, Tim, when we talked to him in the summer, he did say, you don't have to come in early. If you got it, you got it. And guess who the best freshman is on the team? Did not come in early. Benjamin Morrison. Yeah, yeah. Mickens. And of course, people, you know, we all like Jaden Mickey for the future even though he tailed off a little bit there in August and has been injured for a while, but that's uh that's a nice tandem and the tandem coming in too, even faster. Yeah. yeah now uh, recruiting. Go ahead, Pete. Really I'm good. Sorry. No, I'm just saying like, that's, I feel like the receiver position is a year behind where corner is, um, yes. you know, I think next year's receiver class is really good. They have one good freshman, but corner sort of has a leg up on that. So yeah, I think Mike Pickens has done a really nice job. And like, I think it, it's probably a little bit underrated that Mike Mickens knows exactly what Marcus Freeman wants, how he wants it, how he wants it recruited, how he wants it developed. There's, there's really good coaching chemistry between the two of those guys. Um, and certainly a lot of loyalty between the two of them. And I think that that helps sort of juice the whole operation. I think Mickens has done a, you know, I mean, Cam Hart 
they don't throw Cam Hart side very much. And so obviously he's he's his length and he's done some good things. I think Clarence Lewis has become you know, certainly serviceable when they go to him, it was better to well, have. He's in a, yeah, he's in a great role that he's the backup now. Like that's awesome <clears throat> yeah. for Clarence Lewis. Now, last year's class, Philip Riley, Chance Tucker, Ryan Barnes, you know, I mean, two freshmen moved ahead of those guys. Uh, I still think Barnes has the kind of length that you're looking for. I, I, I still think there's something there with Tucker. I don't know about Philip Riley. It doesn't look like that is. I haven't seen a time when I watched practice where I thought Philip Riley where I thought, oh, he's splashing like I Chance agree, Tucker I, did. Yeah, yeah I agree with says. you. I, I agree with you. From Howans 22, lots of Notre Dame fans are upset with missing out on Will Shipley. I get that Notre Dame had the better offensive line, but after watching this game, would you rather have Will Shipley or both Audrey Gestime and Logan Dix? I'll go with both in most I would, I, Yeah, I, w- I would go Shipley. with both, but Will Shipley is a hell of a college running back. Let, let's yeah. Let's – Let's look at the reality of it. He is a really, really good running back. Did it show up Saturday night all the time? Well, no. They ran into a Notre Dame defensive buzzsaw. But if you watch Will Shipley play, I think Will Shipley is going to play beyond the college level. I don't know how well or for how long, but I think he will. But when you get two for one, <laughs> the yep. two for the two are playing extremely, extremely well. Both answers the question. Um, that it's estimated digs, but yeah, it was the first time I've seen Shipley play like in person, and I was really, really impressed. I mean, he that there were a lot of Clemson players who did not give a crap as that game went on, right? Will, no, Will Shipley gave a crap from start to finish. Like, that is if he was at Notre Dame, he would be a captain. Um, I'm sure he will be at Clemson. I mean, that's I think on the broadcast, they said re- they referenced Dabo Sweeting saying like he's one of the heartbeats of the program. I yeah. totally get that. Um, I mean, it made sense why Notre Dame was so hot after him and why they put so many resources into trying to recruit the guy. He would be, he'd be a great fit here. His balance. Yes. Running the only football, thing I was going to yeah. contact balance is incredible. His balance is absolutely tremendous. He's really, really good. Go, f- go fight, win, go Irish is the Navy. Is Navy the proverbial trap game for Notre Dame? Mm, I think I I say no, which means that it actually is. <laughs> right, yeah. What? Figure that I would out. Say, yeah, I would say yes, which means it's not, because that's Aha! what people think. So there's <laughs> um, Navy, if they had Ricky Dobbs or Malcolm Perry or something, I would be all over 17 points. Or, yeah, if, uh, let, or if Marcus referred to Niamatololo as Coach Ken, then I'm like, then, I would yeah, have all sorts also, of alarm bells going <laughs> off today. So. Let the, I don't know if everybody knows this, but yeah. but uh, Navy starting quarterback Ty Lavatai was injured in the Temple game, and he is out for the rest of the season. So they go back to uh, airline. It, airline, our line, uh, our line. Who, has, who has experience and has been playing. They've been getting him the football in other ways. I think I, I haven't completely dealt. I know he's been getting touches, um, but there was a reason why he was displaced by Lavatai because he's not as good as him. So, yeah. or, is, or the coaches like him more as, as a person. Than no, really I don't think that that's it. I don't think that's it. Ever, <laughs> ever to Excel has our final question today. Earlier this season, you were asked whether Marcus Freeman would succeed in the long term at Notre Dame. Has your answer, your confidence in your answer changed since Saturday night? If your confidence has not changed in this a little bit since, since Saturday night, I don't think we should analyze things. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this is this, the, the, what they accomplished Saturday night was incredible. It was, it was considering how they had played up to that point, they put it all together. And so, yeah, absolutely. I wrote, I, you know, I said it was, they've gone from what in phase one to phase two or phase two to phase three, however many phases there have been. And that's significant. Now I, you know, I, I guess I kind of, it would be hard to look at this and, and beat a Clemson team that soundly and think, well, he's still going to fall flat on his face. But I don't think that, you know, we need to see how they react to winning a game like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that the trap game question <laughs> probably needs a little more analysis than we gave it. It's just that once the backup quarterback's in for Navy and he's not, what was that guy? Tago? What was his last name? Tago. He came Hello, into the Notre Dame game. And- yeah, he came in the he came in no. the Notre Dame game in 2015 when Reynolds got hurt, and uh, he played great. And then he was supposed to start the next year for for Navy, but he tore his ACL. 
And so Will Worth had to come beat Notre Dame. There, there's a backup <laughs> quarterback that beat Notre Dame. All right. Well, this mm. could be this is a trap game. It is a trap game. Um, <laughs> I want to see Marcus Freeman's team react with success because that's what that's gonna be. Yeah, let's uh, let, we don't have to let, let, enjoy the in, enjoy what just happened. Let's see if he can get them ready. And this is difficult. This is a this is a challenge that every coach has to face, especially in football, because of the the physicality and the, 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 what, what it takes out of you mentally. Let's just, can they go play a consistent winning game of football at Navy? And then let's move on to the next week and see what happens there. I mean, answer has not changed confidence up because you have to play that level of football and be that dialed in to win in the playoff. Yeah. Like that's the performance they had on Saturday would have won a playoff game. And I think even with Brian Kelly, I don't know how many times you watched them play and thought like, man, they were so good that they would have won in the playoffs if they played that way. Um, I, so I, that's, think that I agree. That's why Marcus Freeman was hired or well, it was one of the reasons he was hired. But like one of the reasons we're optimistic about him as a hire is like, can he take Notre Dame to the next level? Um, you know, can he sort of go where Brian Kelly never, never went? So that and Saturday was a time where Notre Dame went in a place that Brian Kelly never took them. So um, that's why the confidence is up. But man, we're we're ten games into it, and he's going to have some ups and some downs. And I'm sure at some point they will lose to a team where you're just like, "What is going on here again?" But now you know they have this in them, which is that's a that's confidence, as Marcus Freeman likes to talk about it all the time. It gives you some confidence. Um, I will point out that Brian Kelly's post-game speech after he beat Alabama, I don't know if anybody caught that or not, Brian Kelly uh, went down and beat Alabama in his first chance. He said, this cannot uh, deter our preparation for this week. The first thing I, Brian he also Kelly talked said. about restoring the pride and tradition of LSU football, which <laughs> it, had been, it had out, been a year and a half. If you swap out LSU for Notre Dame, sounded very familiar. <laughs> it had been a year and a half since LSU was winning a national title for crying out loud, or two years, two and a half yeah. years, whatever. That's 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 a long drought down there. No, but that's a good point. It's a hard, and I think Brian Kelly's going to have some problems against Arkansas this week. Just in case you guys are wondering, I like that bet. Arkansas at home. Um, yeah, because because yeah. that's the way. That's, that's exactly why I brought, the way that's why I brought this. Works. That's why I brought this up because you can say it all you want. That's a trap game for you. That's a trap yeah. game. Marcus Freeman yeah. said all week long during Marshall how focused everything was. Those are never accurate. Brian Kelly's never said we had a terrible week of practice when he came in and laid an egg. It's always yeah, been no a great doubt. week of practice. No doubt. I want to wrap up. Uh, Pete Sampson, if Notre Dame finishes eight and four. Oh, the bull stuff. Bull yes. options. If Notre Dame finishes nine and three, bull options. So eight and four and nine and three are essentially the same. Um and that gets down to like the New Year's Six. Because I think there's a lot of questions like, oh, well, what if they run the table here? Can they go to the New Year's Six at nine and three? Almost certainly not. Um, it's a it's a weird because there's four New Year's Six games, right? Rose can't go to that one. So that leaves six slots. Sugar can't go to that one. That leaves four slots. The G5 highest rated team gets one. That leaves three slots. ACC champion goes to the orange. So now we're down to there are only two available slots. And one of them goes to the highest ranked ACC big Notre Dame, big 10 SEC highest ranked team can go to the orange. That's not going to be Notre Dame either. So really there's only one slot for them. Um, so then you get into the Gator bowl or the rely quest bowl, which is the, four, which used to be called the outback bowl in Tampa. Those would both be SEC opponents. Um, the Rely Quest Bowl, there's some like funkiness that has to happen with the Big Ten for Notre Dame to be eligible, or the Cheese It Bowl, which used to be the Camping World Bowl, um, or the Holiday Bowl in San Diego. Cheese It Bowl would be against a Big 12 opponent. Holiday Bowl would be against a Pac 12 opponent. So I don't know how you guys feel about Notre Dame playing Florida, South Carolina, Mississippi State, or would you rather see Notre Dame play like Utah or Washington in San Diego? That one. Um... The San Diego part. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. All I yeah. heard was San Diego. All I heard was San Diego. I, I, lost, I, lost I don't know what you said. <laughs> I just got a text from friend of the show, Dan Ernst, that said there's a bowl uh, projection out there for December 27th, the Camellia Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama at noon 
Notre Dame versus Liberty. And it says, I'm all set. Thanks. <laughs> and I agree. I don't want to go. I, that, that would be bad. That, that would, would be, be impossible. That They would have to lose probably this weekend and next weekend. <laughs> and then again, the weekend after that. Oh, why, why are they on this? Why are they the Holiday Bowl, I believe, is played on December 28th. Play that any day you want. Any you, day you want. You're okay with that. Yeah. To me, the ideal bowl is the 30th. Well, I mean, you'd like right. to be playing in a bigger bowl. The 30th, 30th is awesome. 30th, right? Because you yeah. fly back Gator on Bowl's New Year's the 30th. Eve and you get to your new, yeah. The Gator Bowl yeah. the 30th? Yeah. To me, the worst one is the ReliaQuest Bowl because it's on January 2nd. Um, <gasps> yeah, that's not. I don't want to be in Tampa at that point, so. And and that is the least likely of these. Like these are the four sort of second tier bowls for the ACC and the Rolaya Quest. As long as the Big Ten does not end up in the Orange Bowl, Notre Dame won't be eligible for the Rolaya Quest Bowl. So and everything that Samson just said is why I ask him to tell us what the bowl <laughs> options are. All I heard of San Diego. All right, yeah. this was uh, this was an extended version. I know Jack Freeman's sitting there wondering when the hell we're going to be done, and we are done now, and we'll be back on Thursday. Tim, what what can do you I, got? Can I can I tell one story from the field rushing? You must. Somebody runs up to me and Pete and screams, "Pete Sampson, Iowa State, baby!" Because <laughs> <laughs> he picked Iowa State to beat in the camping day. world bowl. Camping world bowl. Topic of bowls. They just beat Clemson. You know, they just beat Clemson, <laughs> and they yelled, "Iowa State." Baby. Also, one other uh, field storming moment. Uh, there was an assistant coach that walked by O'Malley and I. We both gave him a fist pump, just said congrats, and then he walked straight to the Clemson contingent, leaving the field, and yelled, "Keep using those timeouts." Which I know who that amazing. was. And he's I a really good was. coach, guys. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> it was All right. awesome. We're done. We'll be back on Thursday. Thanks for joining us. Irish Illustrated Insider.